Well, good morning. It's Palm Sunday. How many of you knew that coming in today? Okay, a few. I find that in this line of work, I'm much more aware of these things than I was in the past. Good morning. It's great to see you here. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, We're glad that you're here with us. We're in the midst of a series entitled, What's So Great About Easter? Some of you have seen our invitations. Maybe some of you are here because of those invitations. And we've, we've invited you into this conversation because Easter is coming. Easter is next Sunday, by the way, if you were wondering. Easter is next Sunday. And whenever Easter comes, we always know that we're supposed to celebrate. But a lot of us come into Easter and we don't, we don't know exactly why we're supposed to celebrate. Or some of us come into Easter and we know why, but the truth is we don't, it doesn't really change the way we feel. We don't really feel like celebrating when we walk in on Easter Sunday. And so the purpose of this series is that we might come in next week on Easter Sunday into this place and truly celebrate Easter because we understand it and because it's changed us. That's our goal. So that's why we're doing this. And our conversation started last week with this question, does God have a plan? Because we look around us and we see a broken world that's full of violence and it's full of illness and it's full of suffering and it's full of disappointment and we look around and we think, surely this cannot be what God had in mind. So we had a long conversation about that last week. Scripture clearly shows us that is not what God intended that God has a good plan. In fact, God had a great plan. And his plan is outlined here in Scripture. The problem is on page two of his plan, we looked at God and said, you know what, we reject your plan. We opt out of that plan, and instead of your great plan, we're going to go with our really sketchy one. That's what we decided, and that's what we told him. So God initiates a second plan. God initiates a rescue plan. And he sends his son to restore what God initially intended, to restore what we've broken and invite us back into the original plan. That's the purpose of Jesus. That's why God sent him. And we ended last week by saying this, would you consider turning from your bad plan and surrendering to God's good plan? Would you consider doing that? Would you turn from your bad plan and surrender to God's good plan? Now, you might sit here this morning and think, well, I don't know, I'm not really into labeling things good or bad. Who's to say that God's plan is good and my plan is bad? And I would just say, well, God. (laughs) God would say that. His plan is good. It's literally called the good news. That's his plan, is the good news. And he thinks your plan is terrible. That's just true. It's not because he doesn't like you. It's not because he wants to control you. It's not because he needs your money. It's because he knows how your plan ends. Your plan does not end well. That's just the truth of it. Your plan excludes you from his family. Your plan ends in separation from God and death. And God wants to invite you into his family, into his plan, into life, abundant life, that we're invited into with him. That's the difference between the two plans. So maybe you were here last week when we talked about that. Maybe you weren't. But regardless, maybe you hear that and you think, okay, I'm in on God's plan. That sounds better. 
Or you're saying, well, at least I'm willing to entertain God's plan. I'll entertain it. But what does that mean? If I say I'm going to surrender to God's plan, what does that mean? If I follow Jesus, if I surrender to God's plan, what's in it for me? That's probably what we really mean we're averse to say those kinds of things in church or to ask those kinds of questions, but that's the question for today. What's in it for me? What we're really asking is, it, is it worth it? If you ask me to follow Jesus, is it worth it? Is Jesus worth following? That's the question we're going to answer today, and I would just say the answer is yes. And that's the end of the sermon today. <laughs> right? That's it. Yes. <laughs> Unless you think it would be helpful for me to unpack that a little bit, and uh, then I will. And I've planned to, so please let me. Is Jesus worth following? Yes, he's worth following. Objectively, yes. It's not a matter of opinion. Jesus is worth following. What's in it for you? Well, what's in it for you is God's original plan. We talked about it last week. God's peace, God's shalom, God's kingdom. That's what's in it for you. Despite our rebellion against God, despite our sin, which is an offense to him, despite our rejection of his plan, despite all of those things, God extends to us an invitation to accept his original plan instead of the one that we've chosen over him, which is pretty great. What's in it for you is adoption into God's family. What's in it for you is an invitation into God's kingdom. What's in it for you is to live in a relationship with God where he is your father, and your king, and your savior, and your friend, and your protector, and where you thrive. That's what's in it for you. God says, you rejected my plan, and you broke what was good. And so I'm going to fix what you broke, and I'm going to reject your rejection of me. Ha! (laughs) I reject your rejection of me, and I've put in a second plan, and I've said, here, I'm going to invite you into it again. And I'm going to give you the option. In fact, I'm going to send you a rescuer that will lead you out of that broken, messed up plan and into my perfect plan and restore you to what I intended for you from the beginning. That's my plan. And then whether you want to follow that rescuer or not is up to you. But I would highly, I would highly advise that you follow him. That's what he would say. We're going to look at God's word this morning and we're going to see what he would have to say about this, how he would answer this question. And before we open the word of God, I would just ask if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're here this morning and we're asking some difficult questions as we approach Easter. And I would just ask, Lord, would you come into this place and would you speak to us through your word this morning clearly? Lord, would you give me the words to clearly convey the hope and the joy and the peace that comes from following your son, Jesus? And would you open up our hearts to receive what you have to say this morning? We pray these things in the name of your son. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 14? If you don't have your Bible this morning, we have some in the aisle here this morning. So if you want to raise your hand, we will pass one down to you. We're happy to give you one of those. You can get up and get one if you want, or you can just listen. That's fine. Regardless, we want you to know that if you're here this morning and you don't have a copy of God's Word, you are welcome to take that home with you. Even if you want to grab it after the service, that is our gift to you. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. If you are um, using our Bible, we're going to be on page 874. 
toward the end of your Bible there. I have to admit to you that this sermon was really hard for me. This week was really difficult in preparing for this morning, and here's why. It's not because this question is so hard to answer. It's that there are so many ways to answer this question. We ask a question like, what's in it for me? Is it worth following Jesus? How do we answer that? There are so many good reasons. Which one do we choose in our very limited time this morning? Some of you know uh, that my father is a pastor, and some of you know the story of that, that my dad was um, originally an engineer and that God saved him kind of against his will, and uh, God got him connected into a church kind of against his will, and then eventually God pulled him out of his job as an engineer, and by the time I was a junior in high school, he was planting a church. And so I have this experience of watching my dad go through this process, and I have the experience of having a dad who's a pastor and now being a pastor myself. My dad has given me some great advice, but there's one piece of advice that he's given me as a pastor and a teacher that I always remember, and it's this. Dennis, nobody cares what you think, <clears throat> which sounds a little severe, and it sounded a little severe to me at first too, but he said, when it comes to preaching and teaching, nobody cares what you think. People care what God thinks, okay? And that's true. That's very true. So with that in mind this morning, I'm not going to try to answer the question. I'm going to try to let Jesus answer the question for us. If we were to come to him and say, hey, what's in it for me if I follow you, how would he answer that? After he laughed at us and said, you can't be serious. Is that a serious question? And we say, yes, we're helplessly selfish. Why should I follow you? Then he'd say, all right, I'll give you some, <laughs> some reasons. Here's what I think he would say to us this morning. First, he would say, salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everybody. The kingdom of God is a party and everyone is invited. We rarely think of church or Christianity as a party or people that know how to party. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is a party like you would not believe and everyone is invited to the party. How do I know that? Well, here's what he says. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. He's at a dinner party, and they're having a conversation. The topic is about feasting, and here's what he says, starting in verse 15, Luke chapter 14. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things that they were talking about, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, this is Jesus now talking, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now stop there for a minute. Jesus is at a party. They're talking about feasts and banquets, and one of the guys who's at the table says, man, I cannot wait until the feast that we will have in heaven with the Lord. And Jesus says, hang on a minute. Let me tell you a story. And then he tells this story, and we'll continue this story. Now, there's some helpful context for this that's not really the main point for us this morning, but it's good for us to know. There's a whole context here of what's happening in the Jewish culture how they view themselves and how they view those that are not Jewish, the Gentiles. So there's like a whole story going on there here. 
where the Jews would think that we are the ones that will be in God's kingdom ultimately and, and only us. It is exclusive to us. And so Jesus has a message in here for them as well. For the Jews, being with God in his kingdom is an expectation. It's a given. And so this guy is giving voice to that. He's just saying, hey, this is an expectation that I have. And here's why. If you look back at Isaiah chapter 25, here's what it says. They would all know this. Here's what it says. I'll read it to you. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So when he thinks about feasting in heaven with the Lord, he's thinking about this. He says, I know this to be true. Isaiah said it, and we're waiting for it. See, the Jewish people are looking forward to a day when God will rescue them, but only them. And they're right that God will send a rescuer. They're just wrong about the scope of the rescue plan, that it extends beyond just them. See, God's people, the Jewish people, are anticipating a Savior. Like we talk about all the time, they're waiting for it. They're looking forward to the day when God will make things right and he'll take away death and he'll take away the consequences of sin and all of those things will be gone. And what they fail to realize is that their rescuer is sitting at the table with them telling them this story. The picture of the rescue that Isaiah gives them is a picture of a feast. And so this man at the table is giving voice to that, saying, when the kingdom of God is restored, we will feast with the Lord. And Jesus says, hang on. You've all been invited, but you're not all going to show up. The kingdom of God is a feast with the Lord and it is unbelievable and it's something to look forward to and all those things are right. You're all invited to the feast, but you're not all going to come. And then he tells them this story about this man who prepares this great feast and invites all of these people and they all say, we're going to be there. But when it's time to go, what happens? It says they all began to make excuses and then we look at their excuses and they're pretty bad. Sorry, I just bought a field and I need to go look at it. <laughs> Would you please excuse me from your marvelous party? I'm sorry, I just bought some oxen and I need to go check them over. Would you please excuse me from your party? The last guy gets married, which is maybe a slightly better excuse. He doesn't even say he's sorry. He said, I just got married, I can't make it. That's what he says. And for us, this is a little hard to understand the context of this because we think about, well, we've invited some people over for dinner and they made a lame excuse not to come. This is way more offensive than that. In the context of the Middle Eastern culture where Jesus is telling this story, this is more like you're getting married and on the day of your wedding, one of your groomsmen or one of your bridesmaids calls you and says, hey, I can't make it. I bought a car last week. I can't make it to your wedding because you remember when I bought that house, I've got a ton of stuff to do. I mean, there's just so much stuff at home. It's really been piling up. 
Be like, are you kidding me? That's not even an excuse. You're just saying, I don't want to be there. That's what you're expressing. This does not matter to me. It's not important to me. So how does the host respond in Jesus' story? Verse 21. He says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. How does the master respond? Well, he's angry. He's upset. He has prepared this unbelievable feast, this amazing party. And all of these people said that they were coming and then they all made excuses not to show up. And it's not like he can throw this stuff in the refrigerator. doesn't even know what a refrigerator is. In this context, what am I going to do with this party? It's ready. It's today. It's right now. So he says, just go out and get anyone who will come. I don't care if nobody wants them. I don't know if no one's ever invited them to a party in their life. You go get them. And the servant says, we did that. There's still room. So he says, so leave the city. Go out into the country. Go out onto the roads and compel anyone who will come in because I want my house to be full. I have prepared something marvelous and I want someone to enjoy it. And those that have rejected my invitation will never know the thing that they missed out. They will never taste this and they will miss it. Jesus says, guys, the kingdom is for everybody but you got to show up. John MacArthur puts it this way, God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. And that's true. God's heart is that everyone would accept his invitation. God's heart is that everyone would come to the party, would enjoy what he's prepared for him, for them. But so many of them will miss out, and they have no idea what they're missing out on because they don't understand the value of what they've been invited into. So salvation is for everyone. Kingdom of God is a party and everyone is invited. And accepting that invitation is as simple as I give up on my plan and I surrender to your plan. That's what it looks like to accept the invitation. Okay? Our objection to that is that our plan includes things we like. Our plan includes things that we value. And so Jesus speaks to that as well. The second thing that I think Jesus would say to us this morning is that following me has a price. Salvation is free, but following me is going to cost you something. And some of you are like, I knew it. I knew there was a catch. <laughs> Everyone says salvation is a free gift. I knew there was a catch. Well, here it is. Verse 25, great crowds accompanied Jesus. It says, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish... All who see it will begin to mock him, 
saying, this man began to, began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus says, who's going to start a building project without enough money to finish it? Who would do that? Because all you're doing is building a monument to how dumb you are if you don't have enough to complete the task. Look at what he says at the end of this, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Sometimes I read things like this in Scripture, and I just think, why do you say that? Like, why, Jesus, why would you say something like that? That is not helpful. We look at this and we think, why, why would he say something like this? And if you read Scripture, you see, he says stuff like this all the time. And it's really troublesome if you want to follow Jesus because you, you say, what do I do with this? Jesus says there's room in the kingdom. You're invited to the party. And what you do with the invitation is really important. And we're like, yeah, we know. We get it. It's important. He's like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. Let me put it really bluntly. It's not the most important thing. It's everything. It's not the thing of the greatest value. It's the only thing of real value. I need you to understand the difference. It's not a priority. It's not a degree, a matter of degree. It's life or death. You cannot compare any relationship to a relationship with me. They're not comparable. There's no way to compare the two. Having a relationship with me is life itself. Separation from me is nothing. It's death. That's the difference. Verse 33, he says, Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot follow me. What does it mean to renounce all that you have? I looked it up in the dictionary. Renounce means to release your claim, to give it up. So when he says, hate your mom, hate your dad, hate your wife, hate your kids, hate your brother, hate your sister, yep, even hate yourself, what do we do with that? He means, I need you to reject all of those relationships in favor of something better. So that when I have a choice between mom and Jesus, I choose Jesus every time. When I have a choice between my wife and Jesus, I choose Jesus every time. When I have a choice between my kids and Jesus, I choose Jesus every time. And then we look through Scripture and we see all these commands about how we're supposed to treat our parents and our wives and our kids. And we think, wait a minute, thought I was supposed to hate them. He's saying, no, I want you to reject that relationship in favor of something better. So when Scripture says, honor your father and mother, I do that because I choose Jesus. And he tells me to do that. When he says to care for my wife and love her sacrificially, I do that because I choose Jesus. And he tells me to do that. I choose to follow Jesus. I accept that invitation. I relinquish what I have and I hold on to what he offers. As opposed to those in the story that Jesus tells when he says, I give you an invitation to my party and it's like, well, I got to go see my ox. Do you see the difference? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, it comes with a price. You have to release your grip on everything else. That's what it costs. And I want you to understand that going in. I want you to count the cost because I don't want to say you're coming. I don't want you to tell me you're coming and not mean it because you're just going to look like a fool. And this is hard. This is really hard to hear. 
And the reason it's hard is we don't understand the value of what God is offering in this deal. And the truth is we're right back where we started. I've been talking for a long time now. We're right back where we started. What's in it for me? Is it really worth all that to follow Jesus? Is it really worth all that? Brings us to the third thing. The first thing he said, salvation's for everyone, right? The kingdom of God is a party and everyone's invited, but not everyone's coming to the party because most of you are all in on your own plan. The second thing he says is, following me has a price. Salvation is free, but if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you something. If you choose to follow me, you have to release your grip on what you have right now. And I really mean it. If you're going to follow me, you got to think that through. And it comes to the third thing. What's the third thing? I'm worth it. I am worth it. I think if Jesus were answering the question, he would say, you guys, at that price, the price I just described, I am way undervalued. This is a real bargain that I'm offering you. Let me try to help us this morning with an illustration. I hope this will be helpful. Hold on. This is, uh, this is my plan. This is my plan, right? And I really like my plan. It has some issues. Um, there's a hole in there somewhere. There goes some of my plan. There's a lot of stuff in here that I really value that's really worth something. I mean, my car is in here. I think, it just, I think it's right there, actually. But I really like my car. I mean, it's 10 years old. It's got some problems. But I take really good care of it. I get a lot of compliments on my car because I treat it really well. Um, my kids are in here. I got three of those. My wife is in here. She's worth a lot. She's like a lot of these. But look, here's me. I found me. Here's me. I'm the most valuable thing in there in my plan, right? I think we would all say we're probably the most valuable thing to ourselves. That's okay. I'm in here. Isn't that cool? That's my plan. Here's God's plan. That is, um, that's a suitcase full of $100 bills, by the way. Um, <laughs> really. And I, Steve is here, so he'll protect me on the way out. But that's a suitcase full of $100 bills. So, you know, God's plan is good, too, you know. But God says to me, go ahead, it's, that's for you. It's paid for. That's totally paid for. That's yours. You can have it if you want. Suitcase full of $100 bills. Enjoy it. I made it for you to enjoy. I'm inviting you into that. I'm like, really? That's pretty cool. So I've got my plan, which is cool. I mean, I like it. <laughs> it does have some issues, okay? <laughs> it's pretty dirty. And then I've got God's plan. He says, that's for you. You enjoy that. I'm like, great, I will. And he says, hold on, hold on. You gotta, you gotta let go of your plan. Okay. Well, I don't know about that, God. I don't know about that because this, this is pretty valuable to me. <clears throat> I didn't think the illustration would work this well. <laughs> but let me just get your opinion for a second. Which one of these is worth more? 
My plan or God's plan? Which do you think is worth more? All right, well, you would say that because this isn't your plan. This is my plan and it means a lot to me. So, I mean, maybe you'd say that this is worth more, but, I mean, technically maybe it's worth more. But which one is actually worth more? Isn't it kind of subjective? Isn't it which one I think is actually worth more? God's plan is worth more. You're still going to go with that? All right. Maybe I could have God's plan on Sundays. And then I could have my plan the, the rest of the week. Hey, God, maybe I could just use some of what's in your plan and keep my plan too. And God says, dude, let go of your plan. It's sad. It's ridiculous that we're even having this conversation. It is not subjective. It is objective truth. My plan is way better than your plan. It's just true, no matter how much I have wrapped up in here. It's filthy, too. He just says, trust me. I'm worth it. Some of you are uncomfortable with this analogy. You're like, are you comparing God to a suitcase full of money? Are you monetizing Jesus? No. Well, yes. I guess I am. Yes. I'm just trying to do what I think Jesus would do. Because if we look in his word in Matthew 13, it says this. Here's the illustration he uses. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. Kingdom of heaven is like an un believable treasure that's worth so much, he gives up everything he has and he's happy about it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what Jesus says. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had so that he could buy it. The kingdom of heaven is the treasure. Kingdom of heaven is the pearl. Jesus says it's so clearly of such great value that asking you to give up everything is like asking you to give up nothing at all. So what's in it for me to follow Jesus? Is it worth following Jesus? My hope is that in this comparison, that's a laughable question to us. Is it worth it? Which one is of greater value? <laughs> Seriously. We choose God's plan. We accept an invitation into the party. That's the idea when we choose God's plan over our own. And with that comes adoption into his family, an invitation into the kingdom, an opportunity to be a child of God, and relationship with him. Real, genuine, authentic relationship with our creator. Just think about that. And God says, I have all of that. It's all for you, all for you to enjoy. And you can just have it. You can just have it. All you gotta do is... Let go of your plan. It's ridiculous that we're still talking about it. That's how I think God feels when we have this conversation with him. You have your connection card this morning. I'd love it if you would take that out. The purpose of that is because we want to know that you're here and we want to be able to pray for you. We give you opportunities on there to share a prayer request or tell us what God is doing because we want to know what's happening in our family from week to week. And we do pray for you and we do praise God over those God stories. But here's what I'd like to ask you to respond to this morning. 
God's extended the invitation and now we have to decide what we're going to do with it. It's not a question of whether or not it's worth it. I think we've established that. It's not a question of whether it's worth it or not. It's an objective truth. It is worth it. The value is set. The question is, what will we do with it? Some of you are holding really tight to this bag, and you are not going to let go. You're just like, man, this is my plan, and I'm really wrapped up in it. I've spent a lot of time on this, and it is important to me. And you don't understand the value of what's in here. And God says, hey, I get it, but I've got a way better thing for you. I've got a different bag you could hold on to that's way more valuable than that. And I sent my son to show you the difference. I sent my son to rescue you out of that plan because it's a bad one and to invite you into my really good one. So if that's you this morning, if you're holding on to your plan, I would just say, would you just give it up? Just put it down and surrender to God's plan because it is way better. And you have an opportunity to do that. Even on your connection card this morning, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And what he would say is, it is worth it. I promise you it's worth it. Now, there are some of you this morning, I'm convinced, that are clutching this little bag, your plan, and you're like, man, it's going to be great to be in heaven with Jesus. And God says, hold on a minute. Look at the difference and follow me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be invited into your kingdom and we're so grateful for what you offer to us. I just pray this morning, even now, Lord, as we respond in worship to you, that you would do a work in our hearts. If there are things we need to surrender to you, Lord, if there are things we have taken along with us, things from our plan that are not of you, would you help us to give them up? Lord, if there are those in here right now who need to know you and don't, would you help them to trust you that it is worth it, that it is the greatest treasure, that it's worth everything. Pray that that would be true of us as a church. We thank you for what you invite us into. In your name, amen.